Well, it's been a uh, privilege to be with you for these uh, couple of days, and I am uh, grateful for my time with you. I have to tell you, um, you know, I went to England one time, and um, when I went to England, it was funny because uh, the Brits aren't the most expressive people on the planet. Have you ever noticed? Um, they're, they're just, they're not terribly emotional. And so, you know, I was speaking, doing my thing with the British people, and I'm three days into this thing, this guy on the front row comes up to me and he says to me, he goes, man, because this stuff is profound. He goes, it's going really deep. I said, who could tell? Um, he goes, yeah, he goes, we're not the most expressive, but trust me, he goes, it's going deep. And... Uh, Every day I'd come home from this thing, you know, my wife and kids came with me, and so they'd go into London every day and fool around, and I'm working, you know, this is the way the family works, right? So, so they're in London fooling around. Then I'd catch up with them in the evening, and I'd, I'd, I'd fool around with them too. Every day Jen would say to me, how's it going? I go, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea how it's going. And uh, finally, the fourth day, you know, things really broke open, and their hearts really just opened up, and it was powerful. Anyhow, if I had four days with you, I think we could really make progress. I'm noticing you're, you're not all that dissimilar from my British friends. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're getting there. So, all right, let me talk to you today about one last topic. For the last few days, I've been talking to you about this idea that we all have this thing in our soul like a suitcase, and the thing gets filled with a lot of junk, and honestly, it impairs us in our intimacy with God, and it keeps us from freedom and fullness that God has for us. Everybody's got a suitcase in their soul, and everybody has stuff in their suitcase until you get to heaven. When you finally get to meet Him face to face, the suitcase will finally and fully be free and empty. Until then, there's this unpacking thing that takes place. But this morning, I want to focus a little bit on the filling part in the suitcase. Just a little of my background, I grew up in a church that was an evangelical church, and honestly, uh, not a lot happened in my church. They were good people, they went to church, and you know, I guess they were reasonably moral people, um, pretty friendly people, but um, I don't remember anything dramatic taking place in my church. I don't remember anybody tremendously being transformed. There weren't any great testimonies of people coming off the streets and dramatic life change, none of that kind of stuff. There wasn't a lot of healing in my church. Matter of fact, I don't remember anybody being miraculously healed in my church. I never heard of any stories of deliverance, you know, like demons being cast out, that kind of stuff, except when missionaries came from Africa. So I just thought all demons lived in Africa because, you know, clearly I never saw that stuff. And so anyhow, um, that was kind of the church I grew up in. You see, my problem was I read the Bible, and that wasn't what the Bible looked like, and that messed me up. See, my problem was I read the Bible, and I actually wanted to see what took place in the Bible. Listen, I think when you read Scripture and your experience falls short of the experience of Scripture, you only have a couple of options. One is to create theological systems that tell why God doesn't do what He used to do. You could do that. If you do, you'll always fall short of what you could be. The other thing that people do is they feel the tension of the gap between what God did and what we experience. And when you feel the tension, it creates in you a dissonance and it creates in you a hunger for all that God has done because He has not changed for Him to do it again. And that's what I did. I read the Bible, I took it serious, and I went, we need to see this And Jesus hasn't changed. It's not on his side of the equation. Clearly, it's on my side of the equation. So I started pursuing God uh, when I was 16. I'd read the Bible. And honestly, I spent a lot of time arguing with God when I read the Bible. Like, why don't you do this stuff anymore? What happened to you? Where are you? Why aren't you doing these things you used to do? Why is my church so darn boring? And I wondered about this stuff. Until I was 19, when I was 19 years old. Well, I guess I was 17 and things started shifting for me. I should start there. When I was 17 years old, I started dating a girl from my church. Didn't make church more interesting, but she was interesting, so it helped some. And uh, when I was 19, she broke up with me. 
and when I was leaving the place where we were together and I drove away, I pulled over on this little dirt road and I prayed this prayer to God and I said, Lord, you know, I gave this girl my heart, what happened to me and I was crying, tears of, you know, self-pity and much to my surprise, God spoke to me. It's funny because he had spoken to people all through scripture, but I'd never really heard him speak and that day he spoke clearly. I actually had a picture in my mind, a mental image. The picture was of Jesus standing before me with his arms open, waiting to embrace me. And I'm standing in the picture. I can see myself. I'm standing at a distance, kind of holding him off. And in this moment, I hear Jesus speak to me. And he said to me, this is the way you have treated me your whole life. I thought it was kind of a rude introduction, personally. (laughs) But actually, it pierced my heart. You know, I went from tears of self-pity to tears of repentance. And in that moment, what happened next, I can only describe in mystical terms because it's hard to explain God in any other terms. When you encounter the living God, it is always mystery. Always. There's no rational explanation. It is always supranatural and supra-rational. And I was standing there, and all of a sudden it felt like love from heaven got poured out inside of me like liquid in my soul. And it was overwhelming. I'm telling you, it was so overwhelming. The next day I went to work, and I was working at a Burger King. I was at college at the time, and I'm working at a Burger King, kind of making my way through college. And I walk into work, and there was one person in that workplace that was a believer. I didn't say anything. I just walked into the building, and she looked at me, and she said, you encountered God. What happened to you? It was on my countenance. That's what happens when you encounter the living God. You carry His presence. And it changes everything. Hear me, there's a lot of people who have not encountered God. They have read about Him. They know about Him. But until you encounter Him and carry His presence, your life is not marked by Him like it could be, should be, in world-changing ways. That's what happened in the book of Acts. They encountered the living God. And And this thing, which... The Bible uses different terms to describe. I didn't even know what it was describing back then. I just knew I had this encounter. Uh, You know, the Bible uses terms like the baptism of the Spirit to describe it or the filling of the Spirit to describe it. Other generations have used different terms. In the first great awakening under John Wesley, he talked about the second blessing to describe it. Listen, I don't care how you describe it. I just care that you're experiencing the fullness that God has for you for the sake of the cause. Please hear me for a second. God doesn't want to fill us so that we can feel better. Don't get me wrong, you will feel better. But He doesn't want to fill us for selfish purposes. He wants to fill us so He can accomplish His purpose on the planet. It is for your empowerment for His mission. There is exactly one number in the universe that God cares about. It is the number zero. He wishes that none should perish. He wishes that not one person would be left outside of his family when the bell rings and time is set. And he wants every single human being to enter into his family. And the only way that can happen is if his people are empowered by his spirit and are carrying his presence. And remarkably attractive, they are turning people towards Jesus. This is why it's so important to talk about this topic, because if the suitcase gets emptied, but it doesn't get filled with God, we'll never be as full, as free, and as effective for the cause as we possibly can be. And so I want to talk about this concept about how Jesus wants to fill us with His Spirit to empower us on mission. And I want to look at Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to look at Acts chapter 2 in a little bit. And what I want to look at are the signs, the marks, if you will, of the Spirit's fullness on us. And uh, this is just straight from the text, okay? This is what the text says. This is Jesus. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now you have to understand, they had a mental image in their mind about the baptism of John because they had all been baptized by John. 
part. The image they had, John taking them and putting them under in the Jordan. They were completely drenched, soaked with the Jordan upon them. This is the image. They have no idea what Jesus is talking about, about the baptism of the Spirit. But the one image that is pressed upon their mind is their experience of being baptized in the Jordan. So what they know is they are going to be drenched, soaked, saturated, immersed in the presence of the Spirit of God. That's all they have in their mind. And then Jesus says, this is what will happen when that happens. It's a when, then. When you're filled with the Spirit, baptized, saturated with the Spirit, then these are the results. And here's the when-thens. You ready? When you are baptized with the Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's a direct correlation. When we're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there's power. Second, you will be my witnesses. It's the same context. When the Spirit comes, then you will have power. When the Spirit comes, then you will be my witnesses. And the last one, which we'll look about in a second, in a little bit towards the end of the talk, is you will have prophecy. That is, you will hear God's voice. And I just want to talk about what it looks like to walk in the current fullness of the Spirit this morning. First, When we're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there ought to be power marking our lives. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now just think about the book of Acts. This is exactly what happens. It wasn't just conversation. Acts chapter 1, he promises this. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit falls. They are utterly drenched in the Holy Spirit. So drenched in the Spirit that people accuse them of being drunk. Why? Because they are literally staggered under the weight of God's presence. That's how heavy the presence falls. They speak in languages. People can hear them speaking in their heart languages, though they are only speaking one. There's many that are heard. It's a miraculous moment. But think about what happens in terms of power right after that. Peter speaks up. This is the same guy that couldn't stand up to a slave girl. And he speaks with such power and such weighty words that 3,000 people are converted in one moment. It's a pretty good day in the kingdom right there, okay? Right after that, the next scene, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking. They're in the gate going into the temple. And there's a guy who's laying there. He's blind. He's, he's a beggar, rather, and he's, he's, he's lame. And uh, they see him, and he's begging for money. And Peter looks at him and says, listen, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And as he says it, he reaches down the guy and pulls him to his feet, which I think is always a funny moment, because imagine if the guy didn't walk, he'd have been dragging him, you know, it's an embarrassing moment. He took a huge risk, but he was so soaked, drenched, and empowered with the Spirit, he believed, and God answered, and the guy gets up and walks. Listen, they were marked with power. Read the rest of the book of Acts. There's all kinds of power demonstrations in the book of Acts. You see, where the presence of God is flowing freely, power always comes. Because God is not impotent. But power always involves some level of risk. Even in that scene is pulling him to his feet before the healing occurs. Your next level with God lies beyond the boundary of your current experience. And the only way you can get there is you're going to have to risk more than you're comfortable with. That's the way faith works. That's why they call it faith. I started doing these things in my church called Holy Spirit Weekends. And what we would do is we would teach on things about the Holy Spirit, and then we would create up experiences where people could experience those things. We would teach on healing, for example, and we'd release people to pray for the sick. And so I I remember many, many times in the early days when we were doing these things, and they kind of took off, and you know now they've made their way literally around the world and Canada and all kinds of different places. People have taken this thing and modeled this thing. Well, anyways, pastors used to come to these things, and they would say to me, how do you know God is going to show up? And I would always look at them and go, that's why they call it faith, you see. You have to depend, take risk. Turns out God does show up. 
but you don't have to risk more than you're comfortable with. When you're currently walking in the fullness of the Spirit, there ought to be demonstrations of power. There ought to be answered prayer in your life. It ought to be noticeable. Let me give you an example. I had a woman call me one day. She was a Muslim doctor. She came to my church occasionally. Her husband was a Southern Baptist background, and and so he would come pretty faithfully, and she would occasionally come with him. And so I probably saw her, I don't know, one every five or six weeks. I knew who she was. I'd never had a real conversation with her other than a Sunday morning, hey, how are you, conversation. And uh, so I get a phone call out of the blue one day, and she said, can I meet with you? I said, sure, be happy to meet with you. And so she comes in. I have no idea what she's looking for, but I'm always up for evangelistic conversations. They're fun for me. And so I said to her, uh, how can I help you, Angela? She said to me, well, she said, I'm struggling with anxiety, and I know it's not medical because I'm a doctor. And she said, I thought you could help me. I said, well, tell me. I said, can I ask you a couple questions? She said, sure. And I said, um, why did you come to me? I mean, you're Muslim, obviously, I'm a Protestant minister, you could have gone any place, you know, you have medical resources all around you as a doctor, why did you come to me? She said, well, there's a couple of things. First, she said, like I said, I knew it wasn't medical, I am a doctor, and she said, second, she said, the truth is, she said, the only time I feel peace is when I'm sitting underneath your preaching. I said to her, do you know why? She goes, well, I suppose you're going to tell me it has something to do with Jesus. I said, that's true, but I said, you could stand under a lot of people's preaching and not feel peace, I know, because I've sat under people's preaching. Some people make me nervous when they preach. And I said, uh, I said that's, that's partially true, but I said, there's something different going on. I said, you need to understand, I've had anxiety in my life, and Jesus has conquered it. What you're experiencing is my victory that Jesus has given to me. And she said, that makes sense to me. I said to her, now, I, 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 I want to pray for you, but I said, you need to know I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. She said, I know. And I laid my hand on her with her permission, and this is all I prayed. It's a very simple prayer. I just said, now may the peace of Christ come upon you. And it did. I watched it visibly descend upon her as I prayed that prayer. I could see her, her whole body kick into a relaxation moan. Literally, you could see her heart pounding in her chest, and all of a sudden, her heart just slowed down to a normal heart rate. Instantly and miraculously, the peace of Christ descended on her. Can I tell you something about Jesus today? He's not nervous. I'll give you another clue for those of you who are a little nervous about the Holy Spirit. Whenever there's Holy Spirit conversations, Jesus is not nervous about the Holy Spirit. He is not afraid of the Spirit. Fear is a tool of the enemy to keep you from the fullness of God. That's all it is. And she sat there, and the Holy Spirit came on her, and she had total peace, and she texted me a month later. A month later, she said to me, I have not had anxiety since you prayed for me, and I know it's Jesus. Now, what I'd love to tell you is she came to faith in that moment, but she didn't. As a matter of fact, she stopped attending church. You know, it had reverse impact on her for some reason. I don't know why, but I wasn't nervous. You know why? Because I knew she'd encountered one day. Sure enough. Uh, she came back to church after a little while, and she went through another crisis. She called me up, and she said, can I meet with you? I met with her and prayed with her, and again, God met her in that moment. Still, she didn't come to faith. Two years later, she called me up one day through another crisis. She said, hey, I can't come into the office. Can you come to my office today and meet me? I said, sure. She was on duty at the hospital, and so I went. I met with her, and while I'm sitting there in her office, you know, she prayed with me for the stuff that she was wrestling with, and when I finished praying with her, she said to me, I'm ready. I said to her, ready for what? Just checking, you know, you got to make sure. And so <laughs> she goes, uh, I guess she says, from the moment you prayed for me and I experienced the peace of God, I have believed in Jesus. But she said, I, I wasn't ready to trust Christ because my family is Muslim. But she said, today I don't care, I'm ready. And she prayed this incredibly beautiful sinner's prayer, you know, and just tears, full of tears. I prayed for her. The Holy Spirit landed on her. But hear me for a second. That began with a demonstration of power. I'm having 
Many conversations these days with people from the Middle East who are coming, Muslims that are coming to faith. I was just talking to the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada. He just came back from the Middle East. And many, many people in the Middle East, Islamic people are coming to faith today because of miracles, power, signs, wonders, dreams, visions, all this kind of thing. I just had a conversation with a a couple, it's a missionary behind closed doors in a country that does not allow missions work. And a guy came to faith in Christ because Jesus physically appeared to him. And today he feels a call on his life to be a pastor. This is the power that Jesus promised. Listen, you didn't get a junior Holy Spirit. You got the same Holy Spirit as the apostles. And he still has power. When I'm walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there's power. There ought to be answers to prayer. And when my life lacks power, it's because I'm not currently in the fullness Let me give you a second one. When we're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, not only is there power, but there's witness. Again, it's just a direct when then. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and as a result of the Holy Spirit coming on you, you will be my witnesses. That's just what Jesus said. All witness is, if I can simplify, witness is merely you telling what you have seen and heard and experienced. That's all it is. So this is how witness works. It's very simple. If you have a story with Jesus in your life, you have encountered Jesus along the way where Jesus has helped you and your life intersects someone else's life who does not know Jesus. At the point of the intersection, that's where you have an opportunity to be a witness. You just tell what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've experienced. That's all that is. I'll give you an example from my own life. It shouldn't be force, you know. I mean, it's just it's a natural thing. I was, uh, whenever I ride on a plane or if I'm in a taxi or anything like that, I travel quite a bit. I always pray this prayer, Lord, do you want me to talk to this person sitting next to me? And by the way, if the answer is no, I don't bother wasting my time because i got too many things to do in life. So I'll work on something, read something, whatever. But I'm not going to talk to somebody the Lord doesn't have a divine appointment with me for. So, you know, I just I ask. And he either says yes or no. But hear me, if he says yes... I guarantee you I'm in for a great conversation. And so one day I'm on a plane ride, and I was going from Chicago to Providence, Rhode Island, headed back towards home. I was out there doing some stuff in Chicago. I'm on this plane. This woman sits down next to me. She's very professional. And when she sits next to me, I pray this prayer. Lord, do you want me to talk to this woman? I get a very clear indicator from the Spirit. Yes. So I just do what I always do. I just reached over and put my hand out and said to her, what's your name? She gives me her name, and I told her my name. All I'm doing is I'm looking for the divine intersection between where Jesus' work in my life intersects the place where she needs work in her life. So I'm just making conversation. I'm just asking questions. I don't have an agenda. I'm looking for God's agenda, okay? So I just said to her, I said, uh, oh, where, where are you headed? You know, who knows? Nowadays, people stop in at all different places that they're not actually headed to. But in her case, she goes, I am headed to Providence. I said to her, oh, I said, okay. I said, do you live there? She goes, no, I actually live in Chicago. And I said, are you going there for a trip or business or pleasure or what? She goes, no, business. I said, what do you do for a living? You know, so we're down that road. And I'm just making conversation. I'm looking for the intersection, right? And my next question for her, are you married? She says, yes. And I said, do you have kids? She says, yes. I said, how many? She goes, two teenagers. And I make this comment. Again, I'm just making conversation, looking for the divine intersection point. I said to her, there's nothing in the world you ever want to succeed more at than parenting and nothing you feel more ill-equipped for than parenting. And she starts to cry. Oh, now I've got the intersection. I looked at her and I said to her, I said, tell me. I said, I see the tear in your eye. I said, there's got to be pain behind that story. I said, do you want to talk about it? She went on to tell me that she has a kid right now who she had no idea where he was. He was on the streets. He had gotten addicted to heroin. And she didn't know whether he'd come home at night sometime. Didn't know if he'd live or die. Listen, she was a really put together woman. As far as I could tell, she was probably a pretty decent mom. Stuff happens. We live in a really dark world. I have no judgment to offer this person. All I have is compassion for her. The truth is, uh, I have struggled uh, as a parent, my kids haven't always been perfect. It's Jen's side of the family, you have to understand, as this happens, you know. Um, truth is, you know, I mean, both of us have dysfunction. That's part of being part of the human family. And when you have dysfunction, you know, your kids have dysfunction. 
my kids have wrestled. They have struggled along the way. One in particular, uh, there was some storyline behind it of abuse that had happened to her, and, and she ended up, you know, with some rebellion. And, and I, I have seen the products of rebellion. It's been hard. But what I can tell you is, in the midst of my kids' struggles, Jesus gave me stuff that only Jesus could give me. And I just told her some of the stories. For example, uh, when my daughter was really struggling, one day I woke up, and when I got up in the morning, I was sitting downstairs with my time alone with the Lord, and all of a sudden I started feeling grief. And it was weird. I knew I wasn't grieving. And I said to the Lord, I don't understand, I'm feeling grief, but I don't understand what it's coming from. And he said to me, that's me grieving in you. And I went, okay, that's different. I've never had that before. So I said to him, what are you grieving over? He said, your daughter. And I, you know, felt this, you know, pain in my chest. And I said to him, Lord, why? And he goes, she has a secret. And so I didn't ask him any more questions. I waited for my daughter to come home. And when when she came home, I went upstairs and I sat on her bed when she went into her room. And I said to her, sweetheart, can I talk to you? She said, yeah. And I said, sweetheart, I said, "Uh, the Lord told me you have a secret. Do you want to tell me what it is or do you want him to tell me? (laughs) See, and some of you think I did that as a threat. and You're exactly wrong. I'll tell you why I said it to her. Both God and I were giving her an opportunity to pass the honesty test. You will never have integrity unless you're honest. And you will never grow up unless you are honest. And I knew she needed to be able to pass that test on her own. And that's why God went so far and no further. He was giving her a shot. She sobbed with me, and you know, as she's sobbing with me, you know, I, she looks at me, and she goes, Dad, you know what it is, don't you? And I said to her, sweetie, I might, but it doesn't matter. I said, you need to tell it. It's your story. And she did. She got it out. It took her a while, but she got it out through choked back tears, and you know what? That happened five times, same thing. Well, the Lord would tell me she had a secret, I'd go upstairs, and he would tell me, you know, go talk to her. I'd talk to her, she'd tell me what it was. Listen, that kid has turned a corner, has passed the honesty test, and now is walking with Jesus. When I told that story to that lady, her eyes are bugging out of her head. You know why? Because that's right where she's living. And where I have had encounters with Jesus was exactly what she needed. So that's the power of a witness. Any place where you have had Jesus touch your life, you have an opportunity to witness to someone else where they need Jesus to touch your life. If you have had anxiety and Jesus has delivered you, you're a witness. If you have experienced depression and Jesus has set you free, you're a witness. If you have had shame and Jesus broke shame off of you, you're a witness. If you've experienced bitterness and Jesus set you free, you're a witness. If you've had an addiction and Jesus freed you from addiction, you're a witness. Our job is to encounter the living Christ so that we have opportunities to tell others as well. This is what it looks like to walk in the current fullness of the Spirit. And when we're walking in the current fullness, Jesus is active in our life, and we got something to tell. Let me give you one last thing. So when we're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, not only do we have power, not only do we have a witness, but we also have prophecy. That is, we hear God's voice. Again, it's straight from the text. This one's a little later in the text. Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and following. This is after the Spirit has been poured out. Peter is explaining what has taken place, and he is praying from the prophet, the Old Testament prophet, Joel. And he's explaining from Joel what is going to happen when the Spirit gets poured out upon the earth. And this is what he says. In the last days, God says, by the way, theologically, the last days are from the time Jesus rose until the time Jesus returns. It means Paul, Peter, And the apostles were in the last days, but so are you. As a matter of fact, you are further into the last days than they are into the last days. So if this was true in their day and age, it is more true in our day and age. Because the further we go in the last days, the more the Spirit wants to be poured out. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy 
Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Again, it's a when. When the spirit is poured out, then people will hear God's voice and relay God's messages. That's what the scripture says. If I'm walking in the current fullness of the spirit, I ought to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Hear me for a second. Where the spirit is present... His voice is active. He is not mute. God speaks. In John chapter 14 through 16, it's Jesus' longest dissertation on the Holy Spirit. And in that passage, he uses phrases like this. The Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us, make known to us, reveal to us, convict us, lead us into all truth. All of these verbs are communication verbs. The Holy Spirit is speaking. My job is to dial into His presence and listen because He wants to speak. We have to learn how to hear His voice. I'm going to give you a a little bonus today. It wasn't in part of the talk, but I'm going to give it to you anyways because I can tell you need it. So here you go. You ready? Let me give you six ways God speaks. I'm not talking about the Bible right now. I'm talking direct revelation. Now hear me for a second. Of course God speaks through Scripture, and I want to say, anytime God is speaking directly to you, it must be consistent with the Scripture. If it disagrees with Scripture, it is not God, period, okay? So everything needs to be tested by the Scripture. However, these are the six ways He'll speak directly to you. You ready? Number one, an audible voice. Sometimes God speaks out loud directly to people in an audible voice. That happened to Jesus at least at his baptism and at the transfiguration, at least we know those two occasions that it happened to him. It happened to Paul. As a matter of fact, on the road to Damascus, Jesus speaks out loud to Paul. His companions can hear like thunder and noise, and they know he's having a divine appointment, but they can hear distinctly what the Spirit is saying. Only Paul can, but it's audible. Um, it happens all kinds of times in the New Testament. Just, just real quick, how many of you have ever heard the audible voice of God in this room? Anybody? Really? I want to tell you something. You ready for this? In all my years teaching this, you're the only audience that's not had a single person hear the audible voice of God. Now, I'm going to do it again. Is anybody just holding back because they're a little timid? Anybody? Okay, see? All right. Listen, there, there is often, uh, it's not like regular, but there are almost every crowd I speak to, a third of the people. Do you know what's funny? I have spoken to cessationist churches and had people raise their hand when I do this. You know why? God will always trump your bad theology. He speaks, okay? I have heard the audible voice of God exactly one time in my life. Woke up in the middle of the night, um, called my name, woke me out of a sound sleep, scared me half to death. Had my attention, though, I'll tell you that, and, and he spoke to me, and that was the only time, okay? Second, sometimes we hear God through what I would call, the old timers called, the still small voice. This is, you know, taken from Elisha's experience where the whisper of God occurs. And uh, for some of us, this really what it feels like is God's just directing your thoughts. So, for example, you're driving out of here today, you're on your way home, and all of a sudden you have this thought, oh, I should call, and you fill in the blank. And, uh, you know, this person is on your heart, and you think, oh, yeah, I should call them. I haven't talked to them in a while. And then, you know, it keeps coming. It's like pressing. I should really call them. And then you call the person, and you discover it was an incredibly timely moment. Has anybody ever had that kind of thing happen? Okay? That's the Holy Spirit. Listen, hear me for a second. Could you imagine living your life so sensitive to the Holy Spirit you never missed another prompting as long as you lived? Could you imagine how your life would be absolutely saturated with his presence and divine appointments third sometimes god speaks through pictures in this passage it talks about dreams and visions well dreams are just pictures when you're asleep visions are pictures when you're awake but god will speak through pictures fourth um and i already told a couple stories about having dreams but you know i've had pictures when i've been praying for people as well but fourth um Sometimes God speaks through like a word that you can see in your mind's eye. You can just see it. It's almost like it's written on a a board or something, but you can just see the word. 
Um, I was praying for a lady up front in my church one day, and I see the word forgiveness. And I just said to her, I said, uh, and she had like back pain we were praying for, some physical ailment. And I said to her, I see the word forgiveness. Does that mean anything to me? She said, well, I hate my mother. I said, well, that would count for sure. (laughs) Definitely count. She forgave her mother. I didn't need to pray for her back pain. By the time she forgave her mother, the back pain was gone. Okay? Um, So just pay attention to those things. Fifth, sometimes God will speak through your body or your emotions. Uh, Sometimes you'll feel pain when you're, you know, going to talk to someone or pray with someone. And uh, when you do, you just sort of relay, hey, I wasn't having this before, now I'm feeling this, you know, are you having this kind of thing? Um, Me, probably the most common that I get with that is somebody comes up to me, again, they're struggling with something, a marriage problem, they're struggling with physical ailment, and they'll say to me, can you pray for me? And when I go to pray for them, all of a sudden I'm feeling overwhelming anxiety. I wasn't feeling anxiety, and now I'm feeling anxiety. And I'll look at the person and say to them, can I ask you? And yes, I said, are you experiencing anxiety? They go, yeah. And I go, can I pray for that first? Because it's killing me. And if we can pray for that, I'll feel better, you know? And so I will. I'll pray for their anxiety and my anxiety will leave and so will theirs. And then we'll pray for whatever. So just pray for those things, okay? Sometimes the Holy Spirit does that. And finally, six, um, sometimes God speaks straight to my knower. For lack of a better term, it's like I didn't see anything, hear anything, feel anything, sense anything. I just do something. And it was like spirit-to-spirit communication. Some people call it, you know, intuition, gut. When it's the Holy Spirit, it's just His Spirit communicating with your spirit. I had a woman come to my church one day, and I'd never met her. She was her first time there. And she came down front after a service. She said to me, can you pray for me? I'm experiencing physical ailment, you know, stomach pain. And the doctors, been to the doctors, doctors can't explain it, can't help me. Would you pray for me? And I, she had like a group of four or five people with her. I said, sure. I said, I'd be happy to pray for you. So I go pray for her, lay my hand on her shoulder. And I'm telling you, as soon as I touch her shoulder, I know she's a witch. Now, I've never met her before. You always have to be careful with prophecy. You know, be really careful with the way you deliver prophecy. You call some lady a witch, she might stop you. You have to be really careful about that, okay? So I just was very careful. And I said to her, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. And I said, have you ever practiced any other religious practices? She goes, well, I was a witch for 13 years. I said, that would definitely count. I said to her, have you ever considered that perhaps the physical problems you're wrestling with are not really physical in nature, but they're spiritual in nature? She goes, you think I have demons, don't you? I said, I'd bet my life on it. She goes, yeah, I do too. She said, I hear their voices. I said, oh, okay. I said, why don't you come in tomorrow morning? I'll get rid of the demons, and I think your physical problems will go away. She came in the next day. She got saved. She got delivered. She got healed. I mean, that's a good day in the kingdom, don't you think? By the way, this is what Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, there would be power, witness, and prophecy. That's the way it's supposed to work. You see, the key is we've got to walk in the current fullness of the Spirit. One last story, and, and then I'm going to pray with you. Uh, one day I was on another plane ride. This plane ride was, um, I was headed from Boston to Erie, Pennsylvania, but I had a stop in Cleveland, and it was a Sunday. I'd already done three or four services. I was really beat, very tired. It was late at night. It was 11.30 at night. I had to get up the next morning and start giving talks. I had 21 talks to give in five days, and I'm like, 11.30 at night. I'm sitting in the airport in Cleveland. I'm dead tired. I'm like, God, I just want to get to stinking Erie, Pennsylvania and hit the hotel bed. I am exhausted. And there's no plane. There's no flight crew. There's no attendant behind the counter. There's no one present, right? And I am sitting there just, I'm so tired. I'm like, Lord, please, I just need it. You got to help me. I'm dying here. I got to get to bed. And as I'm praying this prayer, I see this woman who's pacing back and forth. Now, she's very, very neatly dressed. She looks like she's in her 60s, late 60s, sure, maybe early 70s. And, and she looks like a church lady, except for the fact every time she paces past me, she is dropping F-bombs, okay? Didn't sound like church lady language, at least no churches that I normally attend. And so she's walking by, and she's cussing, and I just put my head down. I'm like, God, please get me to Erie, Pennsylvania. I got to go to bed. 
And I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. He says, I want you to speak to that lady. I'm like, not the cursing old lady, God. Anybody but her. Please, not the cursing old lady. I don't want to speak to the cursing old lady. And while I'm praying this prayer, she comes over and sits her butt down right next to me. Oh, God thinks he's so funny. I said, all right, all right, cursing old lady. So I lean over, put my hand out. I said to her, uh, my name's Rob. What's your name? She goes, my name's Barbara. I said, hey, Barbara. I said, "Uh, where are you headed? She goes, Erie blank blank Pennsylvania. I said, that's kind of how I'm feeling about it too tonight, Barbara. I said to her, tell me. I said, "Uh, do you live there? She goes, yeah. And I own a business there, which by the way surprised me because I thought she was older than that. I figured she was retired for sure. So I asked her about what she did for a living and and so she me what she does for a living and you know um she reciprocated the question again i'm just looking for this divine intersection point right and so she reciprocates the question what do you do for a living listen when someone asked me that as a minister i could give them a lot of answers i do a lot of interesting things for a living i'm an author I, i i teach in a doctoral program you know but you know when you say you're a minister usually it stops all conversation it just cuts off all conversation that's interesting but you see at this particular time it was 11 30 at night and i was really tired and i thought god got me into he got to get me out of this she'd been dropping the f-bomb so i dropped the m-bomb i'm like i'm a minister and don't you know what she looks at me and she goes oh she goes my father was a methodist minister and i thought yeah that's where you learned how to swear like that you know and right then Flight crew comes sweeping in, you know, and literally just rushes us on this little puddle jumper, and they go, everybody get on board, follow us on the plane. I mean, there's no protocol at all, right? They just follow you on the plane, we're all sitting, don't you know who I'm sitting next to? Come on, I mean... God thinks he's so funny. And so I'm sitting in my aisle. She is literally in the aisle right next to me, right across from me, across the aisle in the seat next to me. And all of a sudden, the plane starts up, and of course, it's a little propeller plane, you know, and she reaches her arm over, grabs me on the arm, and she says to me, I am dying of cancer. Would you pray for me? I looked at her, and I said to her, Barbara, I said, the plane's really loud, and I said, "Uh, when we get to Erie, I'll pray for you. How about that? So we don't have to talk over the top of the plane. She said, okay. It was about a 20-minute flight, just long enough to repent. We get to Erie, Pennsylvania, get to the airport. Her husband, Jim, was there. He was there to pick her up. She introduced me to Jim. She said, oh, Jim, she goes, this nice young minister. I love old people. They still think I'm young, you know. (laughs) Beautiful thing. And I took his hand and shook his hand, and I said to him, Jim, listen, Barbara told me that she has cancer. I'd like to pray for you. We took hands right in the middle of Erie, Pennsylvania airport. She's crying, he's crying, I'm crying. I prayed for God to meet them. At the end of this prayer, she reached out her arms and threw her arms around me and she held me tight and long. And then she whispered in my ear, because of this cancer, I had lost my faith. But tonight, God sent me you. When you're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there's power. There is witness. There is prophecy. And if you're not experiencing those things, it's because you need more. This morning, if you want to experience more of the fullness of the Spirit, I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you are. And I'm going to pray with you. And if you are currently experiencing the fullness of the Spirit, and you're experiencing these things, then I would encourage you to uh, be part of the prayer team this morning, and you can, you can gently go and, and just pray for people. But let me pray for you first, as a church. Father, it is so apparent to me that when the Spirit came in the book of Acts, It changed everything. All of this stuff that Jesus told them would happen, just read the story in Acts. It happened. There was power. There were healings. There were deliverances. There were answers to prayer. There was supernatural activity all around. There was power. And there was witness. Good golly, there was witness. 
Their words carried such weightiness. So many people came to faith in Christ. It turned the Roman Empire on its ear. It's amazing. Witness. And man, they heard your voice. You spoke to them. They had leadings, promptings, whispers, prophecies, dreams, visions. It's all through the book of Acts. This was a church drenched with the Spirit and all of the evidences of the Spirit's work. And I pray for new mercy that they might be such a church like that. I pray that their church might be drenched with the Spirit and that their church might see power, witness, prophecy. I pray their church might see you add deeply to their number, those being saved, Lord. That the blind would see, the deaf would hear, the mute would talk, the lame would walk, the demonized would be delivered, the cancerous would be cured, the addicted would be set free, and daily you would add to their number those being saved. They'd be like the church in Acts because they're marked by the Spirit. I pray two other things. First, I pray right now inside each heart that claims the name of Jesus, you would plant a seed of longing, desire for you. It would be an unquenchable, irresistible longing for more of all that you have for them. They would not stop short of your fullness. And then secondly, I pray as they pursue you, they would meet you over and over again. You would encounter them in the middle of the night. You would encounter them in their times alone with you. You would encounter them in their church services. You would start to flow with freedom in their midst, Holy Spirit. They would be a church that is marked by the Spirit for the glory of the King and for the advancement of the cause. I prayed in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Hey, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna, uh, be up front if you want some prayer. I think there's probably a prayer team here if you want to receive some prayer uh, for more of the Spirit. There'll be some people that are willing to pray with you, and, uh, and we'd be happy to do that. I don't know if you have a closing song or is a pastor coming. You guys do? Great. You're
And why don't you look at me? Eyes open. I don't bless people unless their eyes are open. I refuse to bless anybody with their eyes closed, okay? So look up. You are deeply loved children of the Father. He has paid the eternal price of his blood for you. You are worthy. Now, mighty warriors, you go and live into what he has done for you, and you carry his freedom to those around you, and you bring his glory to the planet. You advance his kingdom because he is worth the honor. Now go in peace and in the fullness of the Spirit. In Jesus' name.